0: I am your host, April Hansen, and this is Arkansas Catholic Asks, a podcast where we interview newsmakers in the church about what matters most to you. We are a podcast produced by the Arkansas Catholic Newspaper, and it's actually been kind of a while since we've recorded a podcast. We've been pretty busy producing the news throughout this crazy year of the COVID-19 pandemic, um, but as we mark the one-year anniversary and a very sad milestone of more than 500,000 COVID deaths... In the United States, over 2.5 million worldwide and more than 5,000 here in Arkansas, we really wanted to take the time to talk about how technology really played a role in connecting people of faith and how that might look in the future. And also wanted to kind of explore prayer and where God is in this pandemic and also our moral obligation to keep ourselves and those around us safe. And so I'm really excited today to talk with Father Jason Tyler, who is pastor of St. Joseph Church in Fayetteville, St. John Church in Huntsville, and St. Peter and Paul Church in Lincoln. And he's also the bioethicist for the diocese. So a very busy man. (laughs) So welcome, Father Tyler.
1: (laughs) Thank you, April. Good to be here.
0: Absolutely. And I actually spoke with Father Tyler um, for our Arkansas Catholic coverage of the one year anniversary of the pandemic. So you can check that out on in our March 13th print and digital edition as well. But we typically start our podcast with some kind of icebreaker question. So, Father Tyler, tell me, have you picked up any unique hobbies or habits during this year long pandemic?
1: You know, I'm not sure I would say anything uh, unique. Uh, I did get back to running a lot more. Uh, a few years ago, I ran quite a bit, ran the, the Little Rock Marathon back in uh, 2015, and then kind of slowly been running a little bit less and less over the last few years. And, but then with the, you know, a lot of time available, and then with the gym being closed and such for a while too, I, I was running a good bit uh, last spring. And somewhat have carried that over um, to now, but I'll say I've, I've slowed down again, too, unfortunately. But it was ah, good while it, right. it.
0: <laughs> Well, at the height of um, your running, how, how many miles would you say you were running?
1: Oh, uh, last year, probably at the height, I was only was it around eight miles or so, maybe. Uh, Now, I say only because uh, when I was doing the marathon training, you know, that was a 20-mile run ultimately to get ready for the 26-mile marathon. So, again, I didn't quite approach those levels. It was more the, I guess, the frequency of it getting out, you know, four and five times a week again compared to the two or three times I'm doing uh, under a regular schedule normally.
0: Absolutely. Well, it's it's still more than me. (laughs) Um, I can say that for sure. Um, But I wanted to kind of get right into it. I want to start the podcast out really with acknowledging how big of a deal the pandemic, you know, was right away last year when public masses were canceled. You know, I know for many Catholics, myself included, when Bishop Anthony B. Taylor canceled public masses last March, which wound up continuing to May, um, that's when it really hit home for me, the gravity of the virus and just how real it truly was. I never thought I'd ever in my lifetime see public masses be canceled. Um, So that was a real eye-opening event for me. And, you know, I know a lot of churches had to suddenly figure out live streaming masses and offering some sort of connection to their parishioners. And something that really impressed me is right away, you started recording kind of like daily devotional videos on Facebook. So why was that important for you to do at that time? And what kind of benefits did you see come out of that?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I agree completely. The, the announcement of public masses being suspended last spring made made the whole COVID pandemic uh, real for me, too, in a way that, that wasn't the case before. And, you know, as a priest, uh, it meant suddenly uh, not being able to do the very thing that, uh, that I was ordained for, you know, to be able to say Mass for the people. Uh, but, of course, when you take a step back from that and you think, okay, I cannot do this publicly. I cannot do it with hundreds of people present anymore. But then to realize that okay, I can still say mass on my own or with a you know one or two people uh, helping out along the way, and uh, continue to make that available. And so we had um, already in in our school we were using a a live stream situation that we had used for some of say our school basketball games and other events. And so we started using that to have mass available for people uh, on their screens every week, you know, obviously not as good as the real thing, but it was some way to, to have them connected. Well, then the idea came, too, that if uh, someone said, hey, I could do my my own daily mass in the rectory chapel, uh, just using a little tripod and, and my iPhone, and from there, also, I, I looked at YouTube and said, okay, I can make some little recordings just to talk about uh, our faith during this time of pandemic, to talk about why the church does certain things to talk. You know, I did one of them on the value of holy water because we had had to take holy water out of the font. And so mm-hmm. the idea was for me as a priest to have that connection with the people that I was no longer able to see on a regular basis. And really as well to hope for, for them to have that connection with each other uh, because with the ideas that, that if many of my parishioners are watching those videos, it, it it's sort of a common link for them as well. So, yeah, I was doing these videos usually about 10 minutes long, maybe a little bit shorter sometimes on a particular topic uh, of concern or, um, you know, whether it would be liturgical or uh, our spirituality you know, during the pandemic or how do we pray with, with the whole world seeming to fall apart. Uh, I tried to touch on um, different topics that I thought were, were on people's minds at that point.
0: Absolutely. And I think, and I think he really did a good job of that. um, Just kind of hitting, you know, beyond just mass, you know, obviously giving them kind of, you know, that daily devotional messages and everything to really, you know, keep that connection. And, you know, I think a lot of parishes were really hesitant to use technology pre-COVID. But, you know, what I've found, people jumped on board pretty quickly because they really had to. So what are the benefits you've seen from live streaming and maybe other online tools that parishes might utilize going forward?
1: So I think one of the the first things I think about is how we connect with our homebound parishioners. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, like so many parishes, uh, our practice here was We'd send out uh, extraordinary ministers on Sunday to take the Eucharist to people who were not able to, to come in person. And I knew already that many of them were, say, watching a mass on EWTN or perhaps some other uh, platform. But now that, that we started offering it as a, as a parish, uh, even some of them were able to switch over uh, to watch the mass that was, was being celebrated in their parish. Uh, now that we, we've, you know, we reopened uh, in May of 2020 for public celebration of the Mass again, we continue to, to live stream, which has been helpful for people who have stayed away because maybe they're of an advanced age or they're immunocompromised, they're very concerned about COVID. But even those who were homebound for other reasons before have mentioned how they enjoy feeling connected again uh, or in a, in a deeper way maybe with their home parish that yes, you know, the, the national things such as EWTN are still out there and there's still uh, a way to, to see mass uh, that way and to pray along with what's happening there. Uh, but feeling that connection with their own community is, is a way of, I think, of helping them. Uh, the other thing I've seen is, is, you know, just using this as another way to communicate with people. So this year, for mm-hmm. example, as we were approaching um, Time for First Confessions for uh, our children, uh, a parent asked if I could make, do a video, doing a tour of the confessional, just to kind of help the kids see that. And that was something I had not thought about right away. But as soon as it was suggested, I saw that it was a good idea because in most years, uh, kids that are that are around and in class, whether it's through our Catholic school or through our religious ed program on on Sundays or on Wednesday nights, they are able to to have that kind of tour of the confessional a week or two before they go for the first time in it, and it helps them be at ease a little bit. So, oh, uh, yeah. so I did that with a, with a video uh, and put that out there as a way to, to help them. And I'm hoping that, you know, maybe that's useful in other contexts as well.
0: Absolutely. Well, and you know, something that you and I have talked about before, too, is that virtual mass doesn't replace going to mass. So is there right. a concern, you know, going forward that people who have been watching mass virtually won't come back?
1: Maybe a little bit, uh, you know, certainly we don't want people to get too comfortable just seeing it in front of a screen and thinking that's um, that's all they need. Of course, we know as Catholics that the value of the mass is about being there, too. And it's about the bread and wine truly changing to become the body and blood of Christ. And for someone in a state of grace to be able to receive the Lord that way in, in Holy Communion uh, is of, of supreme importance. And so. Uh, the hope would be that people, you know, deep down, that that still resonates and in, in they come back um, for that reason. Um, I, I, you know, when I talk about the concern of people getting too comfortable, I'm all concerned not just for those watching Mass online, but really almost for the ones who are not even, who have gotten comfortable, you know, with, with a com- complete separation, if you will. But the parishioners I've spoken to that, that watch online and that have told me they do, um, they're usually very quick to tell me, too, that it's not the same, that they know it's, um, it's not the same and they long for the chance to come back in person.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, I wanted to throw kind of a statistic out there for our listeners. Um, according to Pew Research study that was done in March of 2020, nine in 10 adults said their life had changed because of the pandemic. And I'm sure going forward, if this was done deeper into the pandemic, that would probably be 10 out of 10. Um, but more than more than half of U.S. adults, um, 55%, said they had prayed for an end to the spread of the COVID-19, the virus. And even 36% of those who follow no religion prayed about the virus at, um, yeah, 36%. So in our own diocese, actually, people can submit prayer requests to the DOLR.org website. And it showed that 76 prayer requests from 2020 included the words COVID or coronavirus. So, wow. yeah, <laughs> it's <a> pretty big <laughs> number. And, you know, obviously uh, there could have been other prayers that were in regard to something with the pandemic that didn't use those exact words. But obviously yeah. it's something that, you know, enveloped everybody's life. So why is it important for Catholics to maybe focus on their prayer life a little more as we continue to deal with this very stressful pandemic?
1: Well, first of all, Prayer is always important, right? You know, in in good times and in bad, uh, when things are going well and when they're not going so well, uh, that that chance of prayer, that chance to reach out and connect to the Lord, either to thank him for what he's given us, to ask for what we still need. It's always uh, a great thing. Um, In particular, you know, when we're facing something so unprecedented like this pandemic, something that uh, the human response is just not, uh, not as strong or not able to to destroy the problem as quickly as we can do with so many other things, uh, we're naturally going to be drawn to prayer more because we recognize that that our own human power is not up to the task by itself, that we need that help from God. We need that intervention um, to strengthen us, to to fight this off. The other thing I, I would say with that is too that the um, the prayer certainly should be for an end to the virus, for, for recovery for all who are suffering from it, uh, but as well to strengthen all of our, our frontline heroes, you know, people like our medical staffs and our, our others who are really out in the front lines, so to speak, that that their resolve be strengthened, that their, uh, their health be protected and so on the way as well. So there are really many opportunities for prayer, and, and and you know, when we think about it too, all of the things of life that changed, right, all of the educational, social, uh, athletic events, whatever it is, so many things changed. So why not prayer also, why not go deeper in prayer in the midst of all these other life changes?
0: Oh, for sure. Well, and, you know, kind of building off of that a little bit, you know, I want to talk about when people lose someone or really go mm-hmm. through something traumatic, you know, a typical question that might spring to mind is where is God in all this? And, you know, I've heard people say in terms of this pandemic that God brought this virus to us to refocus our attention. But, you know, our loving God does not cause us harm. So I think it's really a common misunderstanding. Um, Explain that a little to our listeners. And then also, where where can we find God amidst all this pain and
1: suffering? Yeah. So, you know, of course, yes, God does not cause evil. He does not cause uh, something like the virus. That we're dealing with, but he can bring good from it. Uh, you know, he created a world uh, that we have here, right, with the possibility of floods and famines with the possibility of uh, of great storms and and wonderful weather too. And yes, a world that has the possibility of producing viruses, like the one uh, that we're facing right now. So God doesn't cause the suffering, uh, but again, he can bring good from it. And so, As easy as it is for us to focus on the horrible things happening around us and the losses that, yes, we faced, it's also important to identify the good things that we can see along the way. You know, again, the the professionals who have given so much of themselves, even the, you know, the essential workers, um, whether in the grocery stores or in the meatpacking plants or wherever it is, people who have, um, you know, been a part of making sure we have what we need along the way. We look to see, is God working through them? Where is he touching their hearts? And where is he touching ours? Because uh, you're right, it's horrible to lose a loved one and to lose someone tragically, Uh, but it would be even more horrible if God were not there for us to bring us out of it and to get us through it.
0: For sure, absolutely. Well, And I do want to talk a little bit about, you know, the vaccines and Mm -hmm. um, just kind of, you know, also just what we, our obligation as Catholics to kind of follow um, different guidances. Um, Mm -hmm. Scientists and the medical experts, you know, all agree that mask wearing and physical distancing will keep us safe, you know, along with now getting the vaccine and these safety guidelines have honestly become very politically charged versus, you know, looking at the pandemic as a public public health crisis, which it is. (laughs) So what obligation, you know, do we have as Catholics to follow the expert guidance for not only ourselves, but for those around us?
1: So, yeah, you know, one of the things we look at in in something like that is, is that commandment to love one another. uh, And that reminder that none of us uh, has been created simply to live on our own, that we're created within a society, within a network of people around us, and we have a certain number of people we will come in contact with, and they come in contact with a certain number, and so on, so there's a there's a whole um, chain of connections there, and so that commandment to love one another uh, is our love for everyone, you know, the neighbors whom we know and see every day as well as those whom we don't, so when we look at, um, at the virus and we look at ways that we can Uh, contain it, ways that we can make it less uh, um, transmissible uh, in in life, and and, yeah, you mentioned two biggest ones, right, the masking and the physical distancing. Mm -hmm. We remember that we do those um, not just for ourselves, uh, but really for others, and in many cases, we do it much more for others than we do for ourselves. Right. I mean, the masks, uh, the latest research says that it gives some benefit to the wearer, but it gives a lot more benefit to others. That it's about uh, source control uh, as much as anything. And uh, so in that way, you know, my mask is is an act of love for others around me. Another way of seeing that, too, is, you know, if you're a relatively young, healthy person, you might get this virus and and might not have much of a, a difficult time with it. But uh, by avoiding getting it, if you can do, take all the precautions and avoid getting it, you also avoid transmitting it. And that's where that act of love comes in is that you're doing your part to avoid being another link on that chain of transmission. Uh, and so uh, with that idea, with that approach of loving our neighbors, we do the things that are uh, more challenging uh, and, and they're sacrificial, yes. And, the masks are not comfortable. They're not the greatest thing in the world. Otherwise we would have been you know, wearing them since time immemorial. Okay. Uh, the distancing is not great. We'd love to be able to shake hands or hug or, or be in large groups again, uh, but, but observing those protocols helps us to, to stop that transmission.
0: Well, and, you know, I know for Catholics, and this is something I really wanted to talk with you about because you are the bioethicist for the diocese. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of questions swirling around about the morality of the vaccines, you know, stemming from aborted cell lines. But Mm -hmm. the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops have stated the moral duty for us as Catholics is to be vaccinated. So why should all Catholics, but particularly ones that are pro-life and have a special concern regarding abortion, Mm -hmm. Why should everybody get the vaccine?
1: Yeah, so great question. And and I've been getting, you know, versions of this question for the last uh, last few months, really. Um, So a few things to understand. First of all, um, the the vaccines that have currently been developed um, do not rely on aborted cells uh, or cells of aborted children to be in the vaccine itself. So there's one common misunderstanding that, You get this injection, and they're injecting um, cells of aborted fetuses into your body, and that's not the case at all. What instead we're talking about are some abortions from the past. One was from 1972, I believe. Another one might have been from the 1980s that uh, created a a cell line similar to the way some, say, stem cells are created, but these cell lines that get replicated and produced over time. Uh, and one of these was used in testing for the, uh, the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines, uh, as well as in some of the others with the Johnson & Johnson uh, vaccine that's come out more recently. You have uh, some of those cell lines that were used not only in the testing, but also then in some of the production. So there is, sadly, and that connection, uh, if you will, to, uh, uh, to an aborted human person. And we, we obviously need to work to, uh, to have the research that doesn't rely on that, that is completely free of that. In the meantime, uh, our bishops have said, and this is not a new thing. This goes back uh, 15 years or more. The different statements have come out from the Vatican on issues around um, vaccines and other medical developments that have happened through research uh, after an child has been aborted. Uh, in, in the statement time and again has come out that it has said because of the uh, need to preserve life and the need that the, the, the benefit that these vaccines can give us, uh, we need to be able to receive them. We need to recognize that that is uh, morally acceptable. Uh, not that it's great, not that it's something we celebrate, but it's something uh, that we can't accept uh, because There's not an ethically uh, clean alternative out there. Uh, And again, it's important to remember, we're not talking about a situation where a child was killed specifically to create this vaccine. We're not talking about a situation where someone was killed in order to uh, create this. We're talking about, uh, sadly, these abortions that would have happened and um, this... um, Scientific research benefits from it. It's somewhat similar then to a case where uh, if you were going to donate your body to science and you get murdered along the way, well, does the university that's doing research on your body, are they benefiting from your murder? Well, in a certain sense, yes, but we know that the university um, did not... uh, they were not involved in murdering you. And the people who may benefit from the research on your body that you've donated to science also had no part in your murder. And so in that sense, they, uh, they are so far removed from the situation as to not be held culpable for it, not to be held morally responsible for it. So uh, what we recognize now is our call to save the lives that we can save. And part of that means right now that if we get vaccinated and that prevents us from getting uh, the virus, which means we're not using up the resources and you know, the healthcare, right? We're not in the hospital with COVID and, and perhaps putting a strain on that system. But even more significantly, if it manages to, um, to break that chain of transmission in another way, then that's good too. Now, I'll know some will be listening and say, oh, but they say, getting the vaccine does not prevent you from transmitting to others. And that's true, I've read multiple things <laughs> that, that point that out. However, uh, the consensus does seem to be that it makes it less likely, that you mm-hmm. you're, have the virus after getting vaccinated, you are um, emitting fewer of those droplets, fewer of the, uh, you're shedding less of the virus basically. And so you are at the very least less infectious uh, and again, they, that's still a, a developing study as to, you know, can we get to a point where you say you're vaccinated and you're not going to, uh, spread the virus at all in that sense.
0: Absolutely. Well, that is, um, those are very good. I think that's a really great explanation and especially, um, the example of donating a body to science. I think, you know, that's, that can kind of, um, give it a different perspective for listeners and, you know, hopefully would consider that, um, know, understand that these vaccines are moral to receive um, in that regard. And I really, you know, appreciate you sharing your insight with our listeners, and, you know, as we all just reflect on this crazy year. Um, and I really wanted to go ahead and, um, as we usually do, end our podcast with a prayer. Um, want to obviously always do a prayer at the end that kind of relates to the the podcast as a whole, the theme, and um, I know that you have um, found a prayer in regard to the pandemic, so tell us about that.
1: Yes, uh, last uh, March, uh, the Holy See, the Vatican, uh, came out with a, um, a text, what they call the Mass in Time of Pandemic. It is um, what's called one of the masses for various needs and occasions, and so it has prayers that are related specifically to a pandemic uh and it can be used uh in the current pandemic in theory you know if there's another one later on down the line it could be used in that way too i'm not going to hear it on a sunday mass because sunday is uh, liturgically it's it's the higher spot but on a weekday mass especially a weekday of, of ordinary time um this might be used although even occasionally during lent or the easter season it could be used as well so i'm going to to use a closing prayer here that would be the opening prayer for that mass or sometimes called the collect prayer Let's pray. almighty and eternal god our refuge in every danger in whom we turn to whom we turn in our distress in faith we pray look with compassion on the afflicted grant eternal rest to the dead comfort to mourners healing to the sick peace to the dying strength to health care workers wisdom to our leaders and the courage to reach out to all in love so that together we may give glory to your holy name through our Lord Jesus Christ, your son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen.
1: Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you so much again, Father Tyler, and um, we really appreciate you being here today.
1: You're very welcome. Glad to help out.
0: Absolutely. And to all our listeners, please remember to like, subscribe to our Arkansas Catholic Ask podcast and to follow Arkansas Catholic on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, arkansas-catholic.org. You can also subscribe to our print edition to support our ministry or subscribe to our free digital edition and our e-newsletter, Aspire, through our website. And be sure to check back for the future episodes of Arkansas Catholic Asks.